Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where you get questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And with us, making his triumphant return this week, is Glenn Fitzgerald. Triumphant is the exact right word. Making his triumphant remaining on the podcast is Jed Brewer. You know what? Thank you. And with a come-from-behind triumph to make yet another appearance, <laughs> Lee Younger. I just appreciate that Glenn is in full armor, like waving a flag astride a horse on today's yeah. episode. Yeah, it's a real it's a real chore to edit all those hoof beats out of the uh, the final <laughs> audio, but Glenn insists. We have got a fine show lined up for you. We have uh, many wonderful questions, and uh, I think we are prepared to jump straight into those wonderful questions. Amongst these tumultuous times, a rare, smooth podcast recording awaits us. Yep. So we will head to our first question, which comes in anonymously. If you have a question for us, you can help it all the way to the end, or I'll give. Wait a second! I declare an emergency. <laughs> Is there I an emergency? I love the decay. It sounded like Glenn was falling off a cliff in like an old Hanna Barbera cartoon or something. It sounded like the horse was the one yelling that. <laughs> well, special we, guest we, this week, Mister Ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, fellas, you joke, but we're dealing with several emergencies, things that are are, are on our radar. What we have today here, fellas, and I've sent the, the fellas a link to this. It's a Kickstarter. Okay. Uh, and you, 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 this is a very exciting Kickstarter called Alpha and Omega Playing Cards. Okay. And um, I think the crisis is, I'm not sure whether this is, this is okay or too, just too weird. Or sort of both, or just not okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but the the we have the the we we have different decks. So, so these are like regular playing cards, which people use to gamble. What's gambling? Well, I don't. I you know it's not the kind of thing that I would engage in myself. You understand? But so they've designed artwork on there. Um, now, one of these decks is uh, you have. The, well, this is the Reformation de- deck of okay. cards, and you've got your Martin Luther. He's the King of Spades, by the way. Ah, uh, you you've got um, all kinds of. Uh, you've got your 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 Calvin, your John Knox. Uh, all of these people, they all feature in this Reformation deck of cards, and I'm just trying to get a hold of. How how hardcore of a nerd for <laughs> just Bible-y, Bible, doctrinally stuff do you have to be before you look at this and say, man, this is it? Can, can I ask a, a follow-up question? Because I'm fascinated to know. Please. Do these decks include jokers? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through here. And just to keep you up to speed, John Calvin. So you got Martin Luther is the king of spades, okay. obviously. Calvin is the king of hearts. Okay. John Knox, king of diamonds, etc. You see, you see where this is going. I, I'm excited already. I, I do like the idea of a group of guys, uh, seminarians, who are so nerdy that they get into an argument about how 
they think Calvin should be the king of right. spades instead of instead of Luther being the king of spades, and just a, f- a whole fight breaks out over how they have decided these denominations on the on the playing cards. Indeed. Well, gentlemen, here's what I'm thinking, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're always looking for for money making opportunities for us, you know, so that, that we mm. can wind up with some of that filthy lucre. And, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the thing that we see is that clearly there's a market. People love the religiously themed uh, playing cards. Uh, what I'm wondering is, is there a need that has not yet been met? And I just want to put this out there. You know, if it doesn't work for you guys, you know, you send it right back to me. But I'm saying the televangelist playing card deck. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's got all your favorites. It's got Jim and Tammy Faye. It's got Robert Tilton. It's got Kenneth wow. Copeland. They're all there, man. I, I love the section on the website that talks about why playing cards. And there's one part of it that says, our vision is to redesign the centuries-old humble deck of playing cards. Mm. And it's something that people would not only want to enjoy together, but also could be used as a tool to educate and start conversations Mm. i don't know who writes the copy for this stuff but it's just like guys i just don't know i mean (laughs) it's the the there's no ceiling to the nerdiness of this also what if you're like what if you're playing a game that requires speed right yeah a a game like nerds or something and then all of a sudden you start uh you know you're in the early church fathers deck and you're like athanasius let's talk about athanasius right well Lee, you make a strong point, and you've got to be wondering with the whole, you know, and start conversations. Is did you guys have in mind that this would be like an evangelism tool? That like <laughs> you've got your buddies and you've got your monthly poker night, and you're sitting in Bob's basement. You know, half of you got stogies going. I mean, I don't, I don't know what goes on, but maybe there's some brewskis and whatnot, and people are just, you know, they're they're doing what they do at a, at a poker night, and suddenly someone looks down and says. Martin Luther? Why, I don't know who that is. Pause this poker game. I want to hear more about this. Is that really what you thought would happen? Well, Jed, I think we find our answer in the next section of the Kickstarter page. Why church history? Okay. Which starts off with the largest bit of self-awareness on this page. The first answer to why church history is, good question. And so some stuff, biblical themes, and we want to make good, you know, good art. Uh, The guy who uh, designed these has an MDiv, which is the thing that least needed to be put on a website ever, because we know. Um, But one of the the second bullet point is playing cards are small, universal, and effective way to promote real-life relationships over a game. We wanted to use the illustrations to start meaningful conversations, which could change lives. (laughs) Oh, there it was. Well, the other thing I love in the, the Christian imagination is someone, you know, sitting around, you know, you're, you're at work, you're, you're hanging out with some friends, you're at a cabin or whatever, and it's, ah, no, I'm not really into, into spades, I'm good. Oh, is that an embossed picture of John Calvin? <laughs> well, maybe I will join. <laughs> well, listen, fellas, I think we've, we've somehow missed the most obvious and amazing idea which is a deck of cards with our faces on it. Hello. Oh. And like, so like, you know, like the, the, the Jacks, all the different suits of Jacks could be different Jeds. Oh, yes. I, I like that a great deal. You know, like a Palpatine Jed would be your Jack of Spades. Sure. You know? Wow. Yes. That kind of jazz. I like it. I like it. 
That's a fine, a very fine point, but I, I feel the need to jump in here with an emergency within the emergency because I've just encountered a phrase in the, the next sta- uh, section of the Kickstarter, uh, the subheading of which is, who are these for? Which, again, is another excellent question. Um, but the final one, you, it's, it's what you'd expect. Yeah. You know, oh, for anyone who <laughs> loves high-quality uh, cards, youth groups, Bible studies, small groups, and home gatherings will get a lot of use out of these playing cards. Then we get to something very interesting. <laughs> I just saw this, Matt. I'm so glad you're bringing it up. Playing card collectors, cardists, I don't know what that is, and magicians <laughs> will love <laughs> the intricate designs, premium materials, and special features. Is Witchcraft. that John Knox behind your ear? <laughs> <laughs> How many... Christian magicians, which is a thing that there has to be, who get booked to do youth group gigs and birthday parties and homeschool conventions, are going to make a killing <laughs> because they've got the Reformation deck of cards. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, one question that, that I've got on all of this that, that harkens back to, to my youth is, and it's it's about to, we're going to wonder if there's a way to put a, a sick burn on a least favorite character from church history because when I was a kid you know we'd have a lot of packs of cards and I don't know if they still do but you used to have all your standard playing cards plus four jokers if you wanted to use them plus one card that typically had um, the very basic rules for card games sure, printed right. on it um, like you know here's the basic rules for blackjack here's the basic rules for poker that kind of thing. I lost a thousand dollars once because I got dealt rules for draw and stud poker and a hand of blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my question: Is who from church history got stuck as the illustration for the rules card? Because that yeah. feels like a bit of a burn. Well, I can answer a previous question of Jed's because I scooted on down the website um, where it lines out what kind of characters and themes are on the different cards. Okay. Uh, the the uh, you know the queens and jacks are other key figures who played important roles. We already covered the kings. The aces are milestone events in the reformations. Here we go, Jed. Hit me. The jokers are the principal opponents of the movement. What? Pope Leo the Tenth and Jonathan Tetzel. Wow. 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 Pope Those Burns. jokers. <laughs> Do, well, okay. So following the pattern of the Alpha and the Omega set. Who would our jokers be? Oh, well, Joel Osteen. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. He'd have to be up there. I think Kurt Cameron would probably be <laughs> up in there. Yeah. You know, just, just the, the usual suspects there. You know, I don't know who the CEO of our podcasting podcast hosting service is, but I think he would be one for me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Just a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just the sweater. Oh man, I drew a sweater. Oh, bust. <laughs> well, I think the say that deck should be like uh, a stylized deck of Uno cards. Okay. okay if, you, yeah. if you draw a sweater, that's that's a draw four. You know, yeah. that yeah, does seem more our speed. Yeah. yeah, that's right. A game that makes everyone angry. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, fellas, uh, we we've dealt with a lot. We've dealt with uh, witchcraft and uh, you know magical uh, things. Uh, we've dealt with gambling. We've dealt with church history, and we found a way for us to potentially have a million dollar idea here. And on that basis, I declare emergency off. Well, then, indeed. 
Well, if we are going to premiere the Say That deck of playing cards when we get the prototypes up and running, by prototypes, I mean crudely hand-drawn sketches by me um, that have to be very well labeled so you know what they are. Uh, we'll probably premiere those in Bridgebox. Uh, but for now, you just get an email into your uh, inbox beginning of every month with songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of good, encouraging stuff at the beginning of every month for only $8, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox, the easiest, simplest way to support the podcast, and what we do here in Chicago. You can also see that for yourself by joining us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago for our Bridge Live service. If you can't catch it live wherever you are in the world, every single episode is archived, the videos tab on our Facebook page for you to peruse at your leisure. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with this or... You can scroll down in your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in and says, I have a relative who needs help, but doesn't want it from me. I know he won't accept any help from others either. To be honest, he also doesn't want me telling him what to do. It's such a mess, and I know I need to distance myself, but why do I have such a hard time making this boundary, and how can God help? An excellent question, and Glenn, where would we start off? Well, I think part of this is... um for all of us there's a there's an obvious frustration with when when you know um how that someone has a problem that they have a struggle and you know how to help them with it or you feel that you do um it feels like one of these weird so close and yet so far kind of things and if only they would mellow out and and you know ask for help we'd we'd be over this problem already I get that. I have lived that. That is a lot of what my life looks like. Um, there's a lot of uh, churches that I might work with or pastors that I might work with who, you know, things may have really run aground, but I'll be looking at that and say, I think there's only maybe a couple of small tweaks necessary to get this going again. Uh, but they're not going to ask me about that, and they're not going to want to do it if I tell them. So, um, you're not alone in that. This is not a, a unique situation in that in, from that standpoint. But let's let's ask a question about you, because I I think we want to start with humility. Anytime we want to try and figure out you know spiritual growth type thing and an approach to ministry, humility is a good place to start. And I, so we want to ask: How often do you ask for help? How mm-hmm. how much is that a, a feature of your life? Um, I think if you're in a relationship with other people and they never see you ask for help or advice or input on things, Mm. uh, maybe they get to feeling like that's what we're all doing here. We're all pretending that we all have all the answers and nobody asks anybody for help. And that's that's an unhealthy group dynamic. If so, uh, you know, that's, that's a negative thing. It's a bad thing. But it's actually easy to solve and it, when we want to look at that in a positive way. The easy way to solve that is for you to humble yourself. Uh, so you can go to this person that you want to ask you know, advice from you and ask that person for advice in some area where they have a knowledge or expertise that you don't. Uh, and it could be anything. You know, All this guy knows that I don't is you know, how to go fishing or, or, you know, how to hammer a nail or whatever it is. I mean, it, it just doesn't matter. You know, what, what's the, a good comic book to read or who knows what, uh, but humble yourself and say, you know, I, 
I'd like to pursue this activity, whatever it is, and I don't know anything about it. And uh, I'd really like your help. I'd like your input. I'd like your thoughts, because I know you know about this. Uh, and the language of all this is important, to, to really be humble in what you're saying. You know, mm. I don't know. Um, I'd like to know. And start with me from scratch. You know, this is this is an unfamiliar territory for me. Uh, and perhaps there's an opportunity there to show that there, what we're really looking for is an exchange of knowledge. You have knowledge in certain areas they don't. They have it in areas you don't. Uh, that makes it easier, much easier for them to humble themselves. Does it mean that that works in an automatic basis? Of course not. This is, you know, we're kind of taking a long shot with this. But we are creating a better and healthier community, I think, off of that. And we're we're recognizing and modeling that idea of asking for help. And I think that's really important. Final point in this, as I send it to these other fellows, is to look at, uh, to get out of a mentality of I I want to fix this right now by saying something brilliant and then they hear it and they're like so blown away and then they do it and whatever. That's actually very rare and almost never happens in life. So we want to manage that expectation. We want to think instead about if I'm dealing with somebody I know is closed off to getting some wisdom on their situation and they're already in a bad state and they're not asking for help, then I want to plant a seed for the future. And how does that work? Well, what I want to do is I want to look at when this person hits a real rock bottom on this and they get desperate, what do I want them to know in that moment? And then I tell them that now. So I could say, you know, if you ever feel like you need somebody to to talk to who wouldn't judge you and who wouldn't say I told you so and, and the kind of person that wouldn't, look down on you because you are having a struggle. I hope you see that I am that kind of person and I want to be there for you. If you happen to ever find yourself in that, that place, I hope you don't. But if, if so, I hope I'm the first person that you call. I'm just planting that seed. So when they really run aground and they finally are ready for getting help, they're going to call me instead of calling somebody who's tried to force that advice on them. It's become an argument. Everybody got entrenched. Everybody doubled down on their side of the argument. And now it feels like I am surrendering in the midst of that argument rather than just making a phone call to someone mm. who loves me and is ready to help. A really wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, I wonder if you'd, you'd pick us up there by getting into the unique uh, dynamic that family brings into this. Cause Sure. All the all the good stuff Glenn gave us there is absolutely true, and there's an extra element. There's an extra element going on with someone we're related to in a lot of ways, right? There really is, and and I think that we need to acknowledge multiple aspects of that. The, the first is, mo. I don't know if I can say most of the time. Certainly, it is common for family members to not want advice from other family members. Yeah. Uh, to have a very strong preference of, I would rather hear this from basically anyone else in the world other than a person that I am related to. And I think that there's much about that that borders on the silly. There are also some things about it that kind of make sense. I mean, um, 
you might say, well, as their relative, you know, I probably know them a lot better than most people, which in some ways might be true. You could also make the argument that it would be very difficult, given your long shared history, for you to be terribly objective in uh, the mm-hmm. way that you look at their situation and in the way that you speak to their situation. So, but the key thing is, it kind of doesn't matter in that. If they don't want your help or advice, if they're saying, look, I just, you know, my cousin, my sibling, whatever, I just, you know, I'd rather hear it from a stranger than hear it from, from a family member. And again, a lot of people feel that way. Whether their, their reasons for feeling that way are somewhat legit or somewhat bogus doesn't really matter because what we're going to land on is the idea of you can't force help on people. Um, and I think that needs to be repeated because I think that there's a lot of folks in the world who are not clear on that. You cannot force help on people. Um, And that kind of goes double true for family members. Um, You can't force help on family members. Truth be told, and Glenn is already suggesting this and rightly so, that when you try and force help on people, it almost always backfires and makes things worse. Um, That's the kind of thing that that can devolve pretty quickly. And the rate at which it devolves, in my experience, is worse when it's dealing with family members. Um, you know, because with, with people that you're not related to, you know, you can be, one can be a little pushy and a little overbearing and, you know, that other person may have the presence of mind to say, Hey, look, I know you mean well, but you know, uh, uh, let's, let's not do this. I, I think it, it tends to get pretty unpleasant pretty quickly when we are overstepping with family members. Um, so that's, there's that. But the next thing that we kind of need to make peace with is the idea of, there are no magic words. I think one of the things that gets us into so much trouble is believing if I just had the magic words, then they would listen. Mm. Now, I want to be clear. This is different from what Glenn is talking about in terms of planting a seed for later and, and earning the right to be heard for later. That's, that's good stuff. We do want to do that. When I'm talking about the magic words, I'm talking about magic words that I could say today that would make them listen today and follow my advice today and change their ways today. Um, Those don't exist. There there aren't magic words. But we can all put so much darn pressure on ourselves that if I just – if I try it one more time and I say things just a little bit different, it's all it's all going to click. It's all they're 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 going to get there and they're going to finally see it from my perspective, which is, of course, the right perspective. And then we'll we'll really be off to the races. There are no magic words there. There just are not. And again, the mag- the belief that there are magic words, they tempt two things, both of which are bad. First, they tempt us to try and force help on people. Um, you know, and, and to keep having conversations that people have, have made clear they don't want to have, but it puts so much pressure on you. That's the other side of it is it takes a situation that is already hard enough. It is hard to have a person that you love and you care about who does not want your help. And it makes that situation worse for you because rather than dealing with the hardship of, look, this is kind of a closed door, at least for the time being, it makes you feel like, well, maybe if you just prayed harder, then you'd have the right words and it would all work out. And I think that's the thing that I would want to close out with for you is the struggle is not so much about what to say or not to say to your relative uh, because they they don't want help and have apparently been pretty clear on that. The struggle is how do you have peace about this situation? Mm. The, the struggle is how do you get to a place where you are able to say, 
this is in God's hands, not in my hands. Um, this is not a burden that I need to carry around. Um, yes, I want to, to plant some seeds for the future. Yes, I want to be ready to help should they want help in the future. But for today, this is not a, wor- a worry that I need to carry. This is not a weight that I need to be hauling around. I, I need to get some peace and some freedom on that. Um, my, my prayer life should be a part of that. Me talking with um, a, a licensed counselor may well be a part of that. Um, but me getting to a place where I'm not carrying this burden, that actually needs to be a very big part of our goal here. I think it's a great point there. And Lee, where would you close us out on this? I really love what we've heard on this. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really, really good thing for us to investigate. Do I ask for help? Like Glenn was talking about, am I, am I modeling that in my relationships? I think it's a really good, uh, uh, aim to figure out how we can come to peace with this. Like, like Jed's saying, again, you can't, you can't bless somebody who doesn't want to be blessed. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. I think another unique aspect of it being family, just kind of on the same line that Jeb was talking about is we feel more responsible for family members. And so this is part of the struggle in getting to a place of of coming to peace with this, is that we have this feeling that family um, family members are my responsibility. The way family members act reflects upon me. Um, you can see this in the way that people talk um, uh, about their family, the the successes of their family members. They're like, yeah, you know, look at my niece. That's the way my cousin does. That's the way, you know, here's our last name and this is the way we do, you know, when, when they have successes, it's a, it becomes a team success. Um, so the, the, the victory of the individual is actually a victory for the whole family, the whole tribe. Um, we, we kind of identify ourselves as part of the group in that way. Well, the same thing happens with the failures. It's not just the victories and the celebrations. We actually feel responsible when our family members aren't doing well in a different way than we feel that same uh, burden with people that we're not related to. And so that's going to be a difficult part of this of this process, like Jed's talking about, of coming to peace with the fact that you can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. One of the things that that has helped me in the past is because I think that my instinct when I'm having trouble making peace with something like this, or I'm feeling responsible for somebody else's struggle or failures is I feel like, um, I, I kind of get tricked into the idea of the magic words, or I get tricked into, into the identification with other people's struggles by basically saying, if I were more awesome at giving advice, or if I put out a more welcoming vibe or something, then I then then this person would not be struggling because I would have helped them. Um, and one of the things that helps, for me at least, in that scenario is to kind of have the mental exercise of what would happen if this person really, really wanted my help? If they if they said, Hey, I'm having a hard time and I need somebody to uh, I, I need somebody to do this for me for for a couple of days, or I really need somebody to listen to me talk about this, or I really need to know how you have handled situations like this in the past. And it's easy for me in that thought experiment to go, oh, well, I would help them. I, I would make a way for them, or I would listen to that conversation, or I would provide my, you know, an example of my own experience. Um, and, and when I take my step myself through those steps, I realize, actually, 
I don't need to own this, exactly as Jed's saying, because if they wanted my help, they would have it. It's kind of a way of of realizing this is not actually my responsibility. If they wanted my help, I would be glad to give it. But sometimes I have to take myself through that when it comes to family members, because as I said, we feel responsible for family. We identify with them in a stronger way. We feel uh, we we feel like their failures are our failures in the same way that we feel like their victories are our victories. So that mental exercise can be something that helps of if I imagined that this person really, really wanted my help, what would I do? And it's like, oh, I would help them. And it helps me disassociate from kind of uh, some kind of shared shame or some, some kind of shared failure. And so that may be a way that um, that you can kind of take yourself to a place of getting to more peace about this, exactly as Jed's talking about. But it's tricky with family. Everything gets more complex and trickier with family stuff. So we've got to take hold of kind of whatever it's going to take us to be able to get to the place of realizing this is this person's struggle. I would help if they wanted me to. And, um, and, and I would try to anyway, um, whatever we got to do to get ourselves to that place of peace is, is definitely the, the direction we want to head in. All great stuff from all these guys on a really sticky topic. Uh, very, very well done all around. A lot of very, very useful stuff on that dynamic. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes into our email address and says, I quote unquote left my faith about a year ago because I realized I was only staying because of fear of damnation, not love for Jesus. I grew up in church and became really angry with some church scandals. In my experience, I always felt very much connected to God and the Holy Spirit, but not so much Jesus. Well, frankly, I had some experiences that were, I guess, new age in nature. But now I'm freaking out. I know they say Satan appears as an angel of light, and yesterday I was listening to some testimonies of people who left New Age things and that began to seem demonic or something like that, and it really freaked me out. I just feel so confused, and I know there's no stated question in there, but I would love any guidance you can offer on all this. That is perfectly okay. Questions don't have to end with question marks. We're glad you felt comfortable writing in. There's a lot of a lot, lot going on here. But Jed, I'd love to get you to start us off because when I look at this, for all the for all the details that are in there, I just the thing that just jumps out to me is I just feel like it's a message from someone who is overwhelmed kind of in every direction. Where do we start when we're in that place? It's gonna be okay, man. We're we're gonna figure this thing out. It's gonna be all right. We've got your back. God's got your back. Whatever it is, we can figure it out. I promise. So that's where we should begin. The second thing that we should note, you, you said that you were, uh, let me read your question here. You're at some kind of program where you're, you're listening to testimonies of people who had been involved in, in quote unquote new age stuff. And, and you felt freaked out, um, having grown up as a preacher's kid and been to a lot of those kind of presentations, that's the point. It's supposed to freak you out. It is, it is yeah. literally designed as a form of theater. The goal of which is for you to feel weird and scared and freaked out. So, um, I don't know that that really points to a, a deeper spiritual reality so much as um, anything presented in a three-act structure is more compelling than it should be. Um, here's what I would encourage you to be looking at. What would you like your relationship with God to look like moving mm. forward? Let's forget about the past. Let's forget about people that put together anti-New Age presentations that are designed to be frightening. Let's forget about all that. Moving forward, 
what would you like your relationship with God to look like? And let's give ourselves permission for a little while that we don't need to judge our answer to that question. It could be super hippie-tastic. It could have a lot of, of mysticism to it. We don't have to judge it for the moment. We can just start thinking and talking through what would we want that relationship to look like ideally. Now, here is the follow-up question that's super, super important is, what if God was cool with large aspects of it? Hmm. What if God looked at your list of what you would like your relationship with him to look like? It was like, no, I can, I can dig a lot of that. Because as a preview of coming attractions, that's probably true. The question then becomes, how do you get there? How do you, how do you build that, that kind of relationship with God that, that suits you well and suits God well, and it kind of doesn't matter what anybody else thinks? Well, I have a couple ideas for you to start. The first is to recognize that um, if you feel um, drawn to mystical expressions of faith, that's great. That's actually a cool thing. Turns out there are plenty of Christian mystics um, through church history, like a lot of them, uh, many of whom have uh, written and said and done wonderful things that have been a huge blessing to a lot of people. Uh, there's a lady named Julian of Norwich who. Um, is just amazing, and the, the the things that she said and did and wrote are a huge blessing to me. Uh, if you're not familiar with her, I'd encourage you to to uh, look her up. But she, she definitely qualifies as a Christian mystic. Um, but the the other thing that I would encourage you to think about is I'm going to quote. Uh, well, I'm going to reference an old dead white guy, but in this case, it's actually useful. So you may have heard of the name of G.K. Chesterton. Um, uh, who was actually a, a really good writer, and, and he wrote this really interesting book called Orthodoxy, which is a terrible title for a book, but that's what he named it. But here was his point, and it's about to be extremely relevant to your situation. The whole point of Orthodoxy was he wasn't a Christian, and he said to himself, I'm going to invent my own religion. I'm going to take all of my favorite heresies. I'm going to take all the things that I wish were true, whether I think they are or not, and I'm just going to assemble them all together, and I'm going to create my own religion. And at the end of that, he looked at it and he realized he had simply recreated Orthodox Christianity. And I think that there is a great lesson there for all of us, which is you don't have to be afraid of an honest search for truth. Mm. So much of Christian culture is built around don't ask questions, don't look around, don't concern yourself with things outside of this pre-approved curriculum. You don't have to live that way. You, you just don't. You don't have to be afraid of an honest search for truth. If, if you want, um, again, a, a, for lack of, of a better word, if you want a mystical aspect uh, to be present in your faith, I think that's a good thing. And again, there are a lot of examples through church history of people who have been an incredible blessing to the body of Christ who were definitely on that. Um, I, you, can, you can look it up on Wikipedia. Again, start with Julian of Norwich, but don't let weirdos freak you out. Um, that's not going to help anything at all. Um, if, if you're the kind of person where, um, you know, the, the, the standard, um, learning about, uh, reformation heroes just doesn't do it for you. Figure out what does do it for you. Figure out how to work that out in your own relationship with God and you'll get to a place that you feel good about. And I think sooner than you might think possible. That's all excellent stuff. And also I would like to go back to the emergency to pitch a Christian mystics deck that you use specifically for magic. 
Oh, dude. <laughs> I think there's a lot of potential there. All, all excellent stuff. A great place to start off. And Lee, how do we build on that? I really love uh, where Jed has started us here and just a lot of uh, setting you free kind of talk. I know, I know with myself, sometimes you get into situations where um, exactly as, as Jed's saying, that, that people want to scare you on purpose. Um, and it's easy to get caught in kind of the fog of like, where am I? What happened? Which way do I turn now? And sometimes if I find myself in places like that, or if I'm talking to someone who finds themselves in a place like that, there are some really good kind of center, like recentering thoughts that kind of, kind of reset the gravity of, of the situation, uh, and just kind of check, okay, where are we? Which way is up? Which way is down? Kind of thing, kind of thinking. One is this. Not everybody who claims to speak for Christianity has a point. Um, sometimes people claim to speak for Christians and for Christianity, and they are not right. They they do they lead people astray. They hurt people, and you know when when you find yourself in a situation that where you can be disoriented by the idea that like I was supposed to trust this person or this person was supposed to represent us or this person was supposed to speak for us. And we're seeing more and more and more of this stuff all the time. When you're talking about church scandals that are upsetting, when you're talking about people who, who uh, other people, uh, you know, loved and respected and they've kind of, it's come out that they kind of, they were lying the whole time and they've let everybody down or they, you know, massively abused people or took advantage or exploited people. Sometimes people who speak for Christians and Christianity are incredibly messed up people who do not actually represent Jesus in any way. Um, that's, that's an important thing to remember, that sometimes when I get freaked out, I have the right to look at somebody and say, you don't necessarily speak for this. Um, and people who have claimed to speak for Christianity have sometimes been the worst. So that's a, that's a centering thought. Another one is, to kind of build off of that, is one thing I know for sure, because of what Jesus has done for me, he loves me. Jesus died for me, pursued a relationship with me, rose from the dead, he loves me. He wants to be in a friendship with me. And the, just the, the last thing, just one more kind of thing to, one more kind of brick to add on to that is God is not in a hurry. I'm not in trouble. He is not impatient. This is not a, a zone of stress. We're not uh, sprinting to meet the deadline here. Um, when I get into a state of disorientation about about where I am as a believer or what is going on with, with different people or different things. In, in those states of disorientation, I think it's a good thing to remember, one, not everybody that claims to speak for Christianity actually speaks for Jesus in any way. And sometimes those people have been awful and have hurt people and, um, and have massively led people astray. That's one thing. I have the right to, to ask those questions, and I have the right to not follow people. Two, Jesus loves me, and three, God is not in a hurry about this. He is not stressed out. We are not racing to a deadline. And when we kind of add that to where Jed started us, where we 
get to kind of think about what do I want this relationship to look like. All of those things are centering. All of those things will help kind of disperse the fog and and settle some of the disorientation. I don't have to take every person that claims to be a Christian at face value. I get to take my time in figuring this out. And it's based on the idea that Jesus loves me. He wants a friendship with me. And we get to take our time figuring that out. Another uh, wonderful layer put on that. And Glenn, where would we close this out? Well, these other fellows have really nailed this down very well. And I, I very much agree with everything they're saying here. I think, you know, I think if I could, you know, in any way advance what they're saying, I think maybe the easiest way to kind of facilitate everything we're talking about here is to start by removing the labels. Uh, What does it look like when we just remove this idea of whose camp am I in and what team am I on and Mm -hmm. what happens if I'm on the wrong team and all of that? Let's just remove that. Just take the labels off of it. Uh, None of those labels matter. None of those labels mean anything. Uh, You know, when God looks down, he doesn't see labels. He sees people. So let's just, let's do away with that idea. Uh, And that's both because I don't think it's productive and because some of these labels kind of don't fit or they're kind of being used against you, I guess, in a certain way. So let's let's do away with those labels. Second of all, let's let's remove the fear from this equation. Second uh, Timothy one seven says, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, uh, but a, a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Uh, if if we take a look at that, we're recognizing that there is a spiritual, mystical force in your life that is trying to give you fear. Mm. That is not God. That might be, as these other brothers are pointing out, a religious leader of some kind or a a person who's trying to use fear to manipulate you into something they think is religiously good. But that's actually Satan. That's where that message is coming from. Satan is using fear to keep you from solving this problem that you have. And I think that's what I want to zoom in on is let's let's get the, rid of the labels and let's set the fear aside and recognize that's not God. And what I'm looking at here, if, 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 when I read your question, kind of try to get a feel for it, it's a person who's just been trying to find their way and figure this stuff out. And it's been a lot of not quite connecting and then a lot of sort of weird guilt about, should I even be trying to connect it? So what happens if we go back to where Jed started with us on this and say, have you or have you not been on a sincere effort to find God? Because if you're in a sincere effort, and of course that, you know, that's, we're not talking about like all day, every day, but, you know, if the overall effort here is to find God and have a relationship with him, if that's what you've been trying to do all along in one way or another, what about that would God be displeased with? Uh, I think if you're trying to find him and, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're looking in the wrong places or the right places, you're trying to find him and that's what he's seeing. He he wants you to. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, he wants you to find what you're looking for. You want to find what you're looking for. I want you to find what you're looking for. So there's no forces of, you know, religious anything uh, keeping us from pursuing that. And so we, we need to get a little bit of freedom going in this. That's what the Bible says. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we want to be free from that manipulation and that fear. Uh, I think we need to look at all the things in your life that really aren't working. Is this sort of mystical, new agey kind of stuff, is it working? Is it not? If it's not working, if you feel that fear is being put on you, if you feel that um, that just that sense of I'm not getting a connection out of this experience, then we need to find a healthier situation and find a situation that where you can be fed spiritually, where you can grow and where you can really nurture this relationship. If you do that, as Jed's pointing out, it will look like real, authentic, orthodox, straight Christianity. We have no fears about that, no worries about it. So uh, I think it's about giving yourself permission to recognize you don't have any reason for fear or guilt here. God sees your heart. He knows your heart. The more that you connect with him and work that relationship, the more intimacy and closeness you're going to get, the the more on par you're going to be. So you don't need to be afraid of that journey. I think that's all really great stuff from all these guys. The one small thing I'll tackle at the end here ties in exactly with what Glenn's saying there. If you ever feel like I'm just kind of cobbling my own faith and theology and whatnot together, and it's kind of just what makes sense to me, and I'm doing my best and trying to connect to something— that's about as good as anyone can do. Um, no theology is perfect just because they put it down in a big book and they go to a, a school to study it. The, the very inherent idea that there is a human being who could understand the entirety of what God is and trying to do is so absurd on its face that it, it's kind of laughable. But when you're in a situation where you're, you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling like you're a little bit of a drift, it can feel like you're the only one who's kind of flying by the seat of their pants on this. And I can assure you that you are, are very much not, as we, right. as we have said about other things. There's two groups of people. They're the ones who are doing their best and making it up as they go. And they're the people who are doing that but pretending not to do that and trying to put it in a fine leather-bound book. But that doesn't actually change the reality of what's happening there. We're going to move on to our final question here. It came in and it says, I made some changes I needed to make and my life got a lot better. The problem is new challenges are coming up that are forcing me to make more changes. I'm afraid that changing my life will have unattended consequence that may affect my progress and my peace. I know God wants me to grow and change, but how do I know if it's too much? Another great question. And Lee, where do we start off? This is a great question. I'm glad that you wrote it in. And, and a couple of things. It's really awesome that you are making changes and feeling good about them. That is a that is a really really great thing that we want to celebrate. That we want to take the the time to kind of pause and and hit the slow clap on that and recognize this is a good and a positive thing. Um, the place that you're in right now is exhaustion. Um, facing challenges and coming out of them on the other side, having made a positive change, that is exhausting work. Um, it's and one of the reasons that we know is exhausting is most people don't do it. Most people run the other way when they're facing challenges that are going to be tough and that are going to be for their good. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's amazing that you've gotten where you are uh, right now. 
the next thing is, is, I mean, it is very true that for basically for everybody that wants it, God has a lot of stuff that he wants to change in our lives in your life and my life and all of these guys' lives. And, and all of it is for our good. All of it is for our best. Um, but if you were to, if, if God was to kind of give you a download of what all of the changes are going to be that he has planned for you right now, like, um, like when you go on a GPS for a place that you want to to go to, and then you hit the directions button and it shows you a list of what all the directions are going to be. If you were to see a list of all of those changes right now, that would be utterly overwhelming. There's no way that you could cope with that of like, wait, you mean I'm going to, at some point I'm going to move and at some point I'm going to change vocations and then I'm, I'm going to, and then at this point in my life, I'm going to massively change the way I see this paradigm or something like whatever those things are. God has a lot of stuff that he wants to work on and he wants to change with you. But if you were to take them all in at once, it's completely overwhelming. And and you're starting to get the sense of, I just had some changes that I made and it was tough, grueling work and I earned every bit of it. But I have the sense that there's a whole lot more going on and that just feels completely overwhelming. Um, All that to say... The place that you're in takes a very specific kind of mental discipline. And that very specific kind of mental discipline is we need to focus on one tiny little step and challenge at a time. We're just working on what is today's thing? What is the thing that God is taking me through right now? What's the, what's the most immediate challenge? Um, my, uh, my, my son doesn't really do this anymore, but when he was younger, he used to get those big, like, Lego sets that would make, like, you know, like, the, the Star Wars fighter jets and all of that kind of spaceships and all that kind of stuff. And they would have, like, seven, eight hundred pieces, a thousand pieces of Legos. And, I mean, even at, like, you know, it was, like, six-year-old Jack, I mean, he would get one of these boxes, tear it open, and he would just plow into making it. And I would look at the picture on the box and then just these bags of thousands of tiny little pieces, totally nondescript, and think like, dude, that just looks exhausting. Like, I can't even imagine how all of this is going to be supportive and it's going to stay together and the whole thing. And the dude would just like, he would just set to work. And it would literally, there's a book that says, step number one, you get these pieces and you connect them in this way. And then he would turn the page and it was like, step number two, these pieces connect them in this way. And it was just, it would take a while and he would just kind of plow through one tiny little step at a time. And that's the way that you're going to have to face these challenges. But the way it's going to work is like this. I've come through a thing and now I don't want to try to take in the whole deal at once. I just want to ask God to give me, where are we? What are we doing? And I need from you, I need wisdom and I need strength for it. I need to know what's, what, how I need to handle myself in this, and I need you to give me the, the, the giddy-up for it. I, I need your strength for this, your energy for this, and I need your wisdom for this. And if we can do that, not try to take in the whole thing at once, but just do one little challenge at a time, celebrate when we've gotten through one, and then keep going to the Lord for that wisdom and that strength— what you're going to become is a person that is unlike almost everybody on the planet. What most people are doing is they're just like, they're, they're not asking for God's help and they're not trying to do anything hard. 
Um, but what God is turning you into is an exciting thing. It's, a, it's, an ex, it's an exciting prospect. And I know you're tired, and I know all that feels tough. But one little challenge at a time, God is going to do some amazing stuff. An excellent, excellent place to start off. And Glenn, where do we go from there? Well, yeah, I think uh, let's ask this question maybe just to to clarify for you. Uh, this, you know, you're changing things and you don't want to be, and you're sort of afraid of what the consequences would be of that change. Well, let's ask this question. Are you, is this a change that needs to be made? Is this an important change in order to bring out, uh, you know, a healthier, better kind of situation? Or is this the kind of thing where you feel like you're just changing for the sake of changing? Is there an an ego-driven part of that? Is there... Uh, you know, I'm trying to avoid something or whatever it is. I I don't want to handle a responsibility or something, so I'm kind of changing to get out from underneath that. If if those kinds of things are are at play, then yeah, this 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 could have negative consequences for your life. You're 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 not you know making wise decisions based on uh, smart things that need to be done in your life. Uh, and there would be reason for concern about that and reason for hesitating and, and counting the costs of this change and looking at consequences and all of that. But if that's not the case, and and from the way it's worded, I, it seems like you know it's a thing where you know it's a clear good thing to make this move, then that suggests to me we need to ask the question, for you, does change equal crisis? Uh, does change mean there's something bad happening here? Something's going wrong. Because I think we, we do that with change. We say it's not that I'm doing something new. Uh, it's I'm adding something new, a new dimension, a new journey, a new experience in my life. We say, you know, the old thing is dying, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, like, we, you know, if I want to talk to a church leader about changing something in a church, it, it, it's, you know, we'll never be able to go back to whatever. It, there's nothing to go back to. But, um, you know, it's this sense that something's lost in making changes. And I, I think th- there's a problem with that, both from the standpoint of it, it's not about the thing that's being lost. It's about the thing that's being gained. That's the point of change. But it also sets up sort of a weird lack of momentum in our lives. So we just become so risk-averse and so change-averse that we grind to a halt. And that is not better than uh, making changes and having to deal with the consequences of those changes and, and, and deal with that moving forward. Um, I was interviewed uh, recently, um, and they were, they were asking me about... Um, the ministry, and uh, one of the questions I was being asked is, what what would I change about, uh, you know, if I look back on the history of the organization, what would I change? And my answer was, I would change everything. I mean, I know now what to do different than what to do better. I would change everything. But the important thing for you to know is, I have changed everything. I mean, it was sort of after I figured it out by having a disaster, but but then we changed it. Uh, the difference between the way that we would handle that and other organizations or other individuals is that 
for us, we're trying to constantly change as a way of constantly moving forward so we don't feel a crisis behind that change. It's just, it, it becomes the new normal. It becomes, this is how we grow. So I, I, I want to encourage you that the more that you take on change and you embrace that, the more you see it as not a crisis, the less that you focus on what you're losing, the more you focus on those things that you're gaining, you're able to, to ask, is this a smart decision, and go with that. Um, but the Lord is then able to come into that and give you a strength and a courage and a wisdom as you make those changes and everything moves forward on a positive momentum. And that's what we want for you. And it's another great place to take it. And Jed, I think one of the things both these guys are pointing to very accurately is that change is, is constant and is going to happen. So what are the things we can do to have the right mindset about that? If it's going to happen anyway, it's a great question. And you've already heard a ton of really good stuff. So I'll just add a couple of quick things, but we do need to acknowledge that, Life is constant change. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there aren't any exceptions to that. No, nobody gets a pass on that. I mean, if nothing else, you you could devote yourself to to changing nothing, but uh, the world would be changing around you. So your your environment would be constantly changing. So we we kind of have to accept, even if very begrudgingly, that life involves pretty much ongoing change. I know that's not what I want to be true. I imagine it's not what you want to be true, and yet here we are. What I have found, um, and I imagine it's going to be true for you as well, is that the positive aspects of change I generally only experience when I decide um, to choose them and to embrace them and to take a hold of them, Um, when I decide to uh, kind of live into the situation. Uh, The negative aspects of change you are going to experience no matter what, uh, because there's no getting away from that. But the positive stuff, weirdly, is is kind of optional. So it actually leads to an interesting question, which is, do you know how to do that with these new changes that are before you? You know, I, I want you to imagine for a second that you had some kind of office job and the company, there was a thing and besides and so forth, and they're just moving you to Paris. OK, well, there would definitely be negative aspects to that. Like maybe you don't speak French, maybe you don't know anyone in Paris, maybe it's uh, not to your liking in terms of of the climate. So you could just sit alone in your flat um, and talk to no one and experience basically just the negative aspects of this change. Or you could get out and you could explore the city and you could, you know, experience the the food and the music and the museums and all the really cool things that that make Paris Paris. But it's kind of up to you. You're going to experience the negative parts no matter what um, you're, you're going to experience the homesickness. You're going to experience the, the loneliness. But whether you experience the good stuff is is entirely up to you. And I think that's true with most changes. You know, I mean, um, Looking at your question, it sounds like the kind of changes that you're talking about generally are could have pretty big positive aspects to them, but you have to lean into that. You have to kind of, you know, take a hold of those situations and, and figure out what either is good about them or what could be good about them. And here's my guess, again, based on you you, you start your question by saying, I made some changes I needed to make and my life got a lot better. I think you've done that in the past. I think in the past you have made changes and leaned into and taken a hold of the positive aspects of them, which is why your life got a lot better. Right. Um, 
if you've done it before, you can do it again. But one of the things that that we may need here is is some courage, and one of the things we may need here is some creativity. And to that end, I think having someone that you trust that you can talk to who can help you identify what could be positive about the changes that are going on in your life. Um, we're uh, human beings. We're not always the best at, at seeing the potential in things. And that's, that can be a great thing to, to bring a trusted friend in on. But I, I strongly imagine that in your situation, there are positive things to be taken a hold of in those changes. There are new opportunities and good stuff. There are your equivalent of the restaurants and museums and concert halls of Paris waiting for you. And we want to encourage you to get that, that creativity and get that courage and go out and start exploring. Absolutely right. Wonderful stuff from all of these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, Remember, you can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time at Facebook.com slash TheBridgeChicago for The Bridge Live, or you can find every episode archived over there if you can't join us. You can also sign up for BridgeBox at MissionUSA.com slash BridgeBox. I'm going to tell you the song this week. Uh, we have, uh, Lee mentioned this refrain. I think it's an important one. Let's take out the version of Jesus Loves Me from our sister program, The Bridge Loud, featuring the vocals of our friend Harley Smalley. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Pre-order your copy of the Say That Home Game now. Inspire your friends with a card game featuring your favorite Say That memes. Oh, man, I drew an I declare an emergency card. Now I have to lose all my tokens and watch Fireproof. (laughs) (laughs) 